Okay, we're going to keep talking about Elijah here uh, this morning. And uh, there, is, there is an outline on the back of that blue bulletin. If you'd like to follow along, I just want to say this before I begin. We're not going to get to everything that's on that blue bulletin today. So it's, uh, it's not a mistake, but we're just not going to make it. We're only going to make it part of the way. And then we're going to have, uh, then we're going to have communion today. And communion is open to everybody here. Sometimes people, you know, wonder because you might go to a certain church sometimes and communion is just open to somebody who's a member, but uh, we don't have a membership. So communion is open to everybody here. You know, the one thing the Bible says very specifically that when we take communion, that we should examine our hearts in relationship to God. And that's all we encourage you to do. This is communion is between you and God. And uh, so when we take communion this morning, uh, we'll have different stations. There's one here and there's one here and there's one at the back of each one of these chairs. And you'll see and you'll you'll take the bread and you'll dip it into the cup and then you'll consume it. You'll go back, go back to your consume it, then go back to your seat. And uh, I'll be saying a few more words about that in a few minutes. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to tell the story of Elijah from 1 Kings chapter 18 because it is so incredibly awesome. Maybe you've been reading ahead and you've been checking this out, but uh, I debated how exactly to do this, but I just, the story is so great. I want to go through and hit some highlights if I can for just a moment. Before I, I, I tell the story, I want to read our theme verse, what we've been talking about that Jesus Christ said in the Gospel of John, John chapter 10. This is his words. He says, the thief, speaking of the devil, speaking of Satan, the thief, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So we're talking about full contact life. And how do we experience the fullness of life that Jesus Christ is talking about here? And there is a process that we go through and we see that through the life of Elijah. So let's just pause and pray and get into his story. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, so much for your word and all the guidance that it gives us. And God, we know that we battle. We battle against forces in this world and we battle against our own decisions at times that cause us to to head down a path that is not leading us to life. But Jesus, you said that we can have life and we can have a fullness. We can have an abundant life. We can experience full contact life. And God, that's what we want to talk about today. So Lord, lead us. Show us where we need to understand some things today. Show us, God, where we need to make changes in our lives today, where we need to make some decisions. And Lord, lead us in that way of life. In Christ's name, amen. All right, Elijah. So you remember his story begins with, go and talk to King Ahab and tell King Ahab it's not going to rain again. Get up in his face, Elijah, and tell him you've been following Baal. You have introduced Baal worship. So we're talking a lot about spiritual spiritual warfare this morning. You have introduced Baal worship, this demon god, and all of Israel now is worshiping Baal. And now because you've done that, there will not be rain again at my word. And then the next thing that happens is God says, this is really unusual. God says to Elijah, I want you to go to hide yourself. Now, remember, we've been talking about this. Elijah's a mountain man. Elijah was a born fighter. That is who he is. He's never seen a fight that he wants to walk away from. He loves it. So when God says to him, go talk to Ahab and get up in his face and tell him this, Elijah's like, yes. This is all me. I want to do that. But when God says, now, Elijah, go hide yourself, Elijah's like, no, no, let's not do this. Let's talk about fighting more because that's, I'm a born fighter. And God says, I want you to go hide yourself. So now he's come out of hiding. He's gone through Cherith. He's gone through Zarephath, which we've been talking about for the last two weeks. And now God says, okay, Elijah, now I want you to go show yourself. And Elijah's like, 
yes. I've made it. Go show myself. So he's heading to see King Ahab. And along his way, he runs into King Ahab's right-hand man who is in charge of his palace. His name is Obadiah. Not the same Obadiah that's the prophet in the Old Testament, a different Obadiah. He runs into Obadiah. Obadiah says, is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he says, yes. And Obadiah tells him, listen, you might not know this, but I have been protecting 100 of God's prophets. I've hidden them in two different caves, 50 in one and 50 in another. I've been giving them bread and water. I've done all this. And Elijah's like, okay, well, that's great. But go tell Ahab that I'm ready to see him. And so they meet up. And here's the thing. When Ahab sees Elijah, he looks at Elijah. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? And the word means in the Hebrew, snake, devil. Is that you? Now imagine everybody, Elijah is walking along to try to meet Ahab. He's got a long walk through the desert. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. He is passing death and devastation all along the way. And all the pain, all the mourning that's associated with that. And then here you've got all of a sudden, you've got King Ahab blaming him. You're responsible for all this death and devastation. You've caused this. You've caused all this pain, Elijah. Very reminiscent of the widow who said, Elijah, you're the one that caused my son to die that we talked about last week. Elijah says, I've been caused this pain. Your decisions in following Baal has caused this. And so he says, gather, call a whole national assembly. Get everybody up on Mount Carmel. Why Mount Carmel? Why Mount Carmel? Mount Carmel is a beautiful place. If you go to Israel today, there's a huge statue on top of it to Elijah. I was there about 10 years ago and I'm standing there and all of a sudden this huge cloud came over me. I thought, oh my gosh, is God coming down? It was a hang glider. <laughs> hang gliders start down the Mediterranean Sea and they catch the currents coming off of the mountain and they cruise. And so he was just hanging there about 30 feet above me and they'll just cruise for miles to the Mediterranean Sea. And so here's this, here's this statue up there for Elijah. Mount Carmel is so important. Why? Because whoever controlled Carmel in a military sense controlled Israel. But whoever controlled Carmel in a spiritual sense also controlled Israel. Whoever was worshipped on Carmel, as far as Israel was concerned, whoever was top dog on Carmel was in control of all of Israel. And what you'll see in just a few moments is the altar to God was broken down, but the altar to Baal was not. And so he says, call a national assembly on Mount Carmel. We're going to have a big showdown. And so Ahab calls everybody together. Everybody shows up. Queen Jezebel, for whatever reason, does not show up. We don't know why, but she was not there that day. And she's the one that introduced Baal worship because her father was king and a priest of Baal. And so they have this big showdown. And so Elijah says, here's my plan, everybody. What we're going to do is this. I want you to take a bull. I want you to slaughter it. I want you to put it on the altar, and then, I, and then I want you to call on Baal to light that on fire, right? Right out of heaven, boom, light it on fire. I'm going to do the same thing. And so there's 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah all together, and they start preparing everything, and they put it together. They got the wood. They got the altar. They got the, the cut up the, the bull. They're ready to go. And then they start praying, and they start chanting, they start going through all of these antics that they do. So they, later on, they started slashing themselves throughout the day because, and cutting themselves because they're praying for Baal to light on fire. Well, there's nothing happening. They get about noonday, and there's not been an answer. And the scripture says this over and again. Nobody answered. Nobody paid attention. Nobody was listening. You pick up the point that the scripture is trying to get to us. Nobody's listening. Well, finally, and here's, I guys got to be honest with you. Maybe this is bad of me, but I really like this part about Elijah. He starts trash-talking them. I just love it. He says, 
Hey, yell a little bit louder. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe your God is asleep. He can't hear you. And then he says something. Now, you won't see it in your, in your Bible because it doesn't say it this way. It doesn't say it this way in my Bible either. But the word where it says maybe he's busy, that is actually a word in Hebrew that sometimes means maybe he's busy in the toilet. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe your God is in the bathroom and he can't hear you. So this guy is really getting serious. Like he's, right, this is a mountain guy. He's rough. He's crude. He's not, he's not playing around. And so he's taunting them. Yell louder. Well, nothing happens. Nothing happens. And then here it gets a real sweet part. Elijah says, calls the people around him. He says, come here. Call the people come around. He says, let's repair the altar to God. And he leads them as they repair the altar to God together. And it's just this amazing scene put together. And they, they put the sacrifice on the altar. Now, here you go. Here's where it gets just really wild. He's 100% bought in at this point. Remember, it has not rained in three and a half years. And he says, I want you to take some water, and I want you to build a big trench around this altar, and I want you to dump water on it. Now, listen, we don't know where he got the water from. Did he get it from the Mediterranean Sea, which is a few miles away? Did he send some crews down there to bring it up, or was that their drinking water? Like it hasn't rained and water is a really at a premium. Like they're selling bottled water for a hundred bucks a bottle, right? So it's at a premium. And he says, dump it on there. Water it down. And he says, okay, now do it again and do it a third time. He is sealing it. Like if God does not answer by fire on this one, this boy is dead. There's no, like maybe Baal doesn't answer by fire. Maybe God doesn't answer by fire. Okay. Then the two bands, walk, the two parties walk away. Everything's okay. But now, <laughs> He's not walking away if he screws up on this one. He really trusted God. God said it is going to rain again, and he fully trusted God in his word. He prays, boom, fire comes down, lights everything up. It is absolutely amazing. And the next thing he says, seize the prophets of Baal, and they grab them and they slaughter them there. Wow, that's quite a story. I encourage you to go through that and read that all the way through because I left all kinds of wonderful details out, but there's just a fantastic story. So what we're going to talk about this morning, since so much of this, everybody, is about fighting and not so much fighting another person. You know how Ephesians says our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spirits and powers. And and so this is a fight between God and this demon God of Baal. Now, here's the thing I want to say before we jump into this one point that I really want to emphasize this morning. There is a process. Some of us, some of us are born fighters. And some of us are born lovers. You ever heard somebody say, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter. You ever heard that before? Virginia is the state of lovers. This is a lover state. We don't fight. But some of you might be fighters. You know who you are. And if we're around you long enough, we know who you are. You just love to fight. So when God says to Elijah, hey, Elijah, I want you to go fight Ahab, he's like, yes. And then I want you to go hide yourself. And he's like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Here's the thing. All all of us, we are all going to have to fight because Jesus Christ tells us that if we choose to follow after him, that the way will be marked by trouble. 
It'll be rough. It won't be easy. It will be hard. It'll be a challenge. This is not the easy path. It is the rough path that leads to life. And so at some point, every single one of us have to fight. But we can't just fight recklessly. We can't fight on our own. We've got to fight how? We've got to fight God's way. And in order for us to fight God's way means we need to go through a process, just like Elijah did. He went through a process. And what's the process he went through? Weeks one and two. He had to go through Cherith and Zarephath. And every single one of us needs to go through God's process that we fight God's way and not our way. You see, sometimes when I get in a situation that's kind of tight and, you know, I get my adrenaline starts pumping, I say, you know, mm, I'll take care of this. There's an old proverb that says, God, take care of my friends. I'll take care of my enemies. You know what I'm saying? And we say, oh, yeah, God, stand aside. I got this one. You don't need to help me with my enemies. I'll take care of myself. And we want to do it in our own strength and our own power and our own way. But God says, no, you need to do this. How? My way. They do it my way. And this is what Elijah learned. So here's the first thing and the only thing we're going to talk about today, and that's this, the fill in the blank on the back. Know your enemy. You need to know your enemy. You need to know who you're dealing with. Who is your enemy? How do they work? How do they function? Help me to complete this famous line. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Who said it? Michael Corleone in Godfather 2 is who said it. What are you you talking about? Who said Abraham Lincoln? What's that? Goodness gracious. Okay, know your enemy. Okay, we are going to focus on spiritual warfare. Ephesians chapter 6 has a wonderful, we're not going to get into that, but it tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 verse number 12 that our fight's not against other people, really primarily, and sure sometimes we have fights against other people, but primarily the bulk of it against is against spirits and principalities and all this, and this is exactly what Elijah's fighting against. This battle is not Elijah against Ahab. This battle is against the God of Elijah and the God of Ahab, Baal, and Baal worship. Know your enemy. What does your enemy do? Here's the thing, everybody. Listen, we have all been wounded in some way. There's not a person in this room that has not been wounded in some way. And the enemy's strategy is to repeatedly attack our wounds. I'd like you to fill that blank in. Satan's strategy is to repeatedly attack your wounds. Wounds. Genesis 3.15. After the fall of Adam and Eve and the curse is given. God is talking to the snake. He's talking to the devil. He's talking to the devil. He says, you will be cursed. And you will have your head crushed. But notice what it says here at the end of it. It says, you, speaking of snake, snake, devil, you will repeatedly strike his heel. You will strike his heel. Now, the way the the, the sentence is structured there and the words that are used in the Hebrews implies a repeated striking over and over and over again. There's a striking. We've all been wounded in some way. And the enemy's going to figure that out. Look, it's going to be, it's on the heel, everybody. It's low-hanging fruit. We're predisposed in some way or somebody has done something to us. And so it's low-hanging fruit already. It's the easiest strike wound. The enemy knows that because the enemy's smart and he comes back and he strikes that over and over and over again. He's got a place where there's a wound. He's got a place where there's a bruise. And he he just keeps riding that horse all the way to our graves. He does not get up off of it. He strikes it. Over and over and over again. Now, let's talk about Elijah. What was his wound? Maybe you've read ahead. Maybe you've seen some of the clues what his wounds are. You know, the big three, 
that go on in this world are rejection, abandonment, and humiliation. So many things fall under those categories. What was Elijah's wound? Rejection. And you see the clues, and you see the pain, and you see how the enemy, you see how the snake just repeatedly strikes at that wound over and over and over again. He's wounded. So he's, he's this guy, right? He's this mountain guy. Comes from nowhere, some obscure little village. We're not even sure where Tishbe is. Who he's a little guy. God speaks to him. God says, I want you to do this thing. And then eventually he goes and he stays with his widow. This single mom. And because he was there, God supplies flour. God supplies bread so the mom and the son can stay alive, right? That's what was happening. And you would think, of course, she'd be very happy because when they first met, she said to Elijah, we're eating our last meal and we're going to die. But the son gets sick after a certain amount of time. He gets sick and he dies. And what does she say to Elijah? Does she say, my son is sick. Can you pray for him? You've been so kind. You've been so gracious because you've been here. We have had a supply of bread. No, she lashes out at him. She says, it's your fault. You have done this to me. Why did you do this to me? She rejects him. What else do we see in the life of Elijah? Ahab. So he meets Ahab. Whose fault is it that it hasn't rained? Is it Elijah's fault? Or is it Ahab because he's brought in Baal worship? It's Ahab's fault. And what does Ahab say to him? Remember, everybody, Elijah has walked through a desert. He's seen dead bodies of people and animals all over the place. It hasn't rained in three and a half years. Water and food is very, there's just no supply. There's death all over. And that's, that's hurting him. He's in pain over that as he walks through the desert and he sees the carcasses and he sees the death and the mourning and the destruction. And the first word from Ahab is, is that you? Is that you who did this? How dare you do this? You snake. You've brought so much trouble on Israel. Again, it's a rejection. The famous 1821, chapter 18, verse number 21. Elijah says to the people, choose this day who you're going to serve. Is it going to be God if God's got fun? If it's Baal, then follow him. But so the people said nothing. Who is that a rejection of? They're rejecting God, but in some way, they're also rejecting. They're also rejecting Elijah, God's prophet. I'm not going to follow after you. Obadiah told him when he met him on the road, Elijah on the road, he says, look, Elijah, you might not know this, but I've kept safe a hundred of God's prophets there in these caves. I've kept them, kept them safe. You might not know that. I fed them bread and water. There's a hundred of them. So now Elijah knows this. There's a hundred of them. When he gets up on Mount Carmel and he's talking to the people, he says, I am the only one of God's prophets left. What's going on there? Is he saying that out of arrogance? Maybe. I think he's saying it out of hurt and pain. He feels rejected. He feels isolated. He feels very alone. We'll see that play out in just a second in a real way. So it rains after three and a half years, everybody. It rains. What should Elijah be? Like if everything is going bad and all of a sudden you prayed and everything is going fantastic, great, what should you be? Should you be the national hero? If it hasn't rained in the entire country for three and a half years, if all of a sudden there's things to drink and the crops are growing and people are living again and you've brought life back again, shouldn't you be the national hero? You should be the, they should be, they should pick up old Elijah and on the shoulder and carrying him through the streets, yelling his name everywhere. But that's not what happened, is it? 
Jezebel says, may God's deal with me ever so severely. If by tomorrow you're not like one of those prophets, I am going to kill you. He's, there's no parade for Elijah. There's death for him. And so what does he do? So rejected that devil is striking that wound over and over again. So rejected, nailing them, nailing them, nailing them. Know that he is susceptible to it, nailing them so hard. That we see after this great victory, Elijah runs off into the desert by himself and he sits down underneath a broom tree and he says, God, take my life. I want to die. Are you serious? You just had a massive victory. Everybody, I want you to think about this for one second. Is there a painful pattern in your life? Is there a painful pattern? Look back over your life. Is there something that for whatever reason you just keep struggling with it? There's a painful pattern. There's something that's just constantly going on. It's over and over and over. Okay. There's probably, there, I'm sure, there's decisions you need to make. There's things that you need to do differently. There, I, I, let's not, okay, there's stuff that you need to do differently. But is it possible that a portion of this is Satan repeatedly attacking your wound? The easy spot in your life just to keep striking you over and over and over again could that be a part of what is going on here what plagues you what plagues your family look back over your family are there patterns repeating in your family is there a tremendous amount of discontentment a lack of joy does divorce and adultery does always coming up short does that plague your family like You're right there. You can almost get it to the victory, but you fall short. And that's just happening over and over and over again. What plagues your family? Is Satan on just nailing your wound over and over and over again? John 10, 10, everybody. I want to come back to that verse. So Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. But how does the verse begin? The verse begins this way. Satan is a thief, and he's come to steal, he's come to kill, and he's come to destroy. Come to destroy. I've heard people say, well, you know, they experience something, something doesn't go right, they don't get the job, they don't get the house, they don't find a spouse, whatever it might be, healing, whatever it might be. They say, well, I guess that's just God's will. I had a good friend of mine many years ago. Man, he, he, he wanted to get married so bad. He wanted to find a woman of God to spend the rest of his life with. So bad. I mean, it was, and I'm, I just hurt for him. And he's praying about it and praying about it and just couldn't. And he finally said to me one day, he was so dejected. He says, John, this is just God's will for my life. This is just it. This is just what God wants for me. I'm going to be content. I've resolved it. I'm going to be content and I'm going to be single the rest of my life. Now, the only problem with that is he was lying right through his teeth. And because I knew him, Because I knew him so well. I knew he was lying. He didn't believe that for a second. He felt that God put it in his heart that he was going to get married one day. He wanted to get married one day. And you know what I knew? I knew it was God's will that he get married one day. I knew that's what God had for him. Look, why in the world, here's my question to you. Why in the world does Jesus call Satan a thief because he's not stealing anything? Okay? That makes sense? If Satan's not stealing anything, why is Jesus calling him a thief? We say, oh, everything's God's will. 
You know, I didn't get the house. I didn't get the spouse. I didn't get the promotion. I didn't get this. I didn't get all this stuff. I keep coming up short. God just, I don't know why. And it puts friction between me and God. But, you know, and the whole time Satan's just like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm stealing from them and they're blaming God. Think about that. How is the enemy striking the wound over and over again and stealing? This is what happened to Elijah. It was constantly. There are people in this room. And it is in your heart that you want to get married. And you know what the good news is? Is God wants you to get married too. God has somebody, somebody for you. But the enemy is stealing that away. Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy is a thief. There are people who long to own a home. There are people who long for justice in their life. There are people who long to experience joy. There are people who long to experience the fullness of life. There are people who just want to break through to the victory. There's all kinds of things that are represented in this room. And a portion of that probably goes back to the fact that God wants that for you too. But the enemy is stealing it from you and fighting. Just like the enemy fought Elijah over and over and over again. We're going to have communion this morning. And here's what I'd like you to think about as we have communion this morning. We're told in Exodus 15 that the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. In communion, what we see in communion is that God is fighting for you. For those of you who are going to serve communion, we're just going to, don't be too distracted, everybody. We're going to allow everybody to get into place. I'm going to say a few words about communion. I want to tell you one final story, okay? And then we're going to take communion. We're going to pray. So communion again, we're going to have, for those of you, just, just find your spots wherever your stations are. You'll see everybody in a second where their stations and where their spots are, and you'll go, and they have bread, and you'll take the bread, and you'll dip it in the cup, and you'll step aside. Uh, these little carpet squares that we have here are for you to step aside and take communion on the carpet square because TJ is very nervous about us spilling grape juice on the seats and on the carpet. So that's just some housekeeping news. So you'll take communion and then you go back to your seats and there's some things I want you to think about. Again, we examine our hearts when we take communion. We examine our hearts. To go down this path of living life to its fullest, everybody, it is not an easy way. It takes a tremendous amount of bravery and courage. Elijah could not be a wimp. He had to be courageous. Jesus Christ was courageous for you on the cross. That is what communion represents. I'm thinking about this message. And yesterday morning... I was in a situation. There's somebody that's very close to me. And I was thinking about them. And I was thinking, you know, there's a painful pattern that's repeating in this person's life. Over and over and over again. I was just, I was just praying for this person. You know, God, you know, help them out. You know, give them victory. Or, you know, whatever. Just help them. They need help because this is going on over and over again. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about the message today. And the thought struck me. Here it is. Here's the thought that struck me. Satan is fighting 
against this person. You know what the book of Revelation says? It says that when Satan was thrown out of heaven, a third of the angels went with him. We call those angels now demons. The Bible indicates there's a whole bunch of them. And the thought hit me. This person has been repeatedly suffering with injustice. Injustice, everybody. Over. It's weird. Like, there's no reason. This person should be shining in certain situations. Like, really shining. There's no doubt about it. But this person keep that I know and love, they keep suffering injustice. And I got to thinking yesterday morning, I said, this is a little wacky that this is happening. And then the thought hit me. There's a spirit of injustice that's there. The enemy is using it to just keep attacking over and over again. What is that about? So I let that thought go. I did a wedding yesterday afternoon. I got home late last night. I'm sitting down, going over my notes tonight. The thought hits me again. And my wife, Krista's there. And I said to her, I said, Krista, this thought hit me today about this person that we both know and love. And they keep suffering injustice. And it just seems a little weird. Has the thought ever hit you that maybe this could be the enemy? This could be Satan. This could be a spirit of injustice that just keeps attacking this wound. And she said, you know what she said to me? She said, you know what? I had the exact same thought this morning. We were in two different places. I had the exact same thought this morning. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. So, she goes on to bed, and I stay up, and I'm thinking, I'm praying about this. I know what to do. You know, you know what the scripture says, Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, so it's verse number nine. It says there was a battle over the body of Moses. A battle over the body of Moses. An angel was there battling with Satan. And it says that all that the angel said is, the Lord rebuke you. Didn't get into all this carrying on, just said, the Lord rebuke you. And that thought came to my mind last night. And so what I did was I just simply stopped. And I said, Father, if this is true, if this is going on, I really want it to stop for this person because my heart goes out to them. And it's clearly something's not right. What do I do? And God just brought that back to my mind. Just said, just, so I just said, spirit of injustice over this situation. And I called the person's name. Spirit of injustice, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Now, you ready? That was late last night. Early this morning, this person that I know and love was again in a similar situation where they could have been treated with justice or injustice and constantly they've been treated with injustice, constantly they've been pushed down, constantly they have not shown. I got a call just before I walked in here. This person received justice this morning and they shone brightly. They won this morning. I'm on my way here. I'm like, Lord. That for real. Wow. Satan's robbing some of us here this morning. I want you to seriously think about that as we take him. I want you to really think about that. Quit being stolen from. God doesn't want you stolen from. God doesn't want you down in the dumps. God doesn't want you suffering anymore. God doesn't want that for you. That's not God's will. It's not God's will for you to to want so badly to be married and not be married, to have a house. We just taped a video today for people for the fasting and prayer. Man, I, I was listening to, I got all those emails. How many people closed on a house on that day of fasting and prayer? How many people received healing on that day or got a job promotion that day? 
And God's saying, John, are you an idiot? Connect the dots, man. Don't be robbed anymore. I want you to consider a couple things this morning, okay? Is there a painful pattern in your life? And is that the enemy striking you over and over again, stealing from you, okay? I want you to consider after you take communion, you're sitting in your seats. Say, God, what should I do about it? I want you to consider saying, naming whatever that is, injustice, rejection, whatever it might be. The Lord rebuke you. I want you to consider while the band comes up, plays, while we take communion, going over here and visiting the prayer team. I want you to consider doing that. The devil is a thief. Jesus would not have called the devil a thief as he's not stealing from us. Don't let him steal from you anymore. God loves you. I love you. There's no reason for you to walk around having your pockets picked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, God, for your goodness. I thank you, Lord, for so many answers to prayer that we have heard about recently is awesome. I thank you, Lord, for this person that I know and love who, Lord, the enemy was wounding over and over and over again. And this morning it stopped. I thank you, God, that you are victorious, that you control Mount Carmel, that, God, you are greater than any spirit that fights against us and that you desire to give us life. And, Father, as we eat this bread this morning and remember, Jesus, how you fought for us, and as we drink of this cup and remember, Jesus, that you are a warrior and fighting for us, God, I pray that we would eat and drink and give glory to your name and that we would look at our lives and consider where the enemy is stealing from us and we'd say, okay, no more. I'm going to address this situation. God, I pray that you would give victory after victory after victory in this place today for the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.